Matthew 7, verse 13. Let's read this section again. Verse 13 of Matthew 7. um, To the end of the chapter. And you'll you'll notice as we begin today, we're kind of walking through this section as a a lump, as a whole. Uh, And we'll parse out a few things over the next week or two. Um, but this section is really, it's really hard to separate it. And so you, you'll kind of see as we begin this morning. But let us read verse 13 through the end of the chapter, and then a brief prayer. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them. Jesus will declare to them. I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine. And does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as scribes. Let's pray. Lord, may the words that come forth today be your words and yours only. May the truth be taught, proclaimed, and heard. May hearts be changed. May faith be exercised and repentance a reality. May we seek Christ. Here this morning, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Uh, As I noted last week, uh, we're coming to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And in in this conclusion, Jesus 
as I also mentioned, is giving warnings. He warns of the fake, the false, uh, specifically about fake and false gates, ways, prophets, and even faith. But it goes without saying that when there is something that is fake or false, uh, the opposite exists, the true or the real. And so while we think about the fake and the false, we must realize the true. The false can make you believe that you have the real thing and how so many are being deceived by the false. So it's very important to me as your pastor that you, each and every one of you, know and can discern the difference between the real and the fake, the true and the false. We began, we began last week at the narrow gate and we didn't go very far past the gate. Uh, my intention last week, though I don't think I did a very good job at it, was to make it very clear that the narrow gate that leads to the kingdom of heaven, that leads to eternal life, is Jesus Christ. Now, I probably said that over and over again, but I want to clarify it is Jesus Christ alone. And I want to clarify that it is to pass through the gate, the door of Christ, by faith alone. So if you'll bear with me, I want to hammer on that a little bit more this morning. I want to speak to this a little bit more of Christ being the narrow gate, Christ alone, and we pass through the gate by faith alone. So why do I emphasize alone? The word alone. I emphasize the word alone because the gate the other gate, the wide gate, it is inviting. It is welcoming. It is inviting you to enter by other means than Jesus alone and by other means than faith alone. Many people are going through the wide gate and they are being deceived. They have entered the wide gate deceived thinking they are in the narrow gate. You see the narrowness of the gate that is Christ, it is narrow so that it only includes one thing, Christ. And it only includes one way of entry, and that is faith. That is why it is narrow. Now to help us think this through, I want to give you an illustration that I hope is helpful and some verses to build it up. Let's say you, let's say you start a club, a private club, and you have an entrance into this club. And I don't mean a physical entrance. I mean there are requirements that allows only specific people into the club. And let's say you want that specific entrance to be that you can only be in the club if you have been born in the month of February in the year of 1975. That's pretty narrow. You might not have many people that can come into your club. So if you were not born in February in 1975, you're not allowed in the club. You have a very narrow gate into entry into your club. So how can you widen that entrance? Well, 
You could make it less strict. You could say, okay, only those born in February can come into this club. So now you've got more who can enter because you've widened the gate into the club. Or maybe it's uh, those who are born in 1975. What have you done? You've widened the gate, you've made it easier to come in, and more people are able to join. The gate is to, uh, entry is easier and wide. For the entrance into the kingdom of heaven, the only gate is through faith in Christ alone. So here, how do we widen that gate? How does a narrow gate, or how does a wide gate deceive others? Here's one way. Oh, you can come in if you believe in Jesus, or in Buddha, or Muhammad, or you think being spiritual and understanding the universe. No, it's through Christ alone. Jesus Christ is the way to the Father, into His kingdom, and He says, I am the way. And He says, I am the door. A second way of widening the entrance would to be would to say, yes, I have faith in Jesus, but also I have lived a good life. Or, oh, you have faith in Jesus and you've never missed Sunday. Or you have faith in Jesus and you became a missionary. Ah, bring that into the gate. That is why the gate is wide that leads to destruction. It is known as a self-righteous gate. It is not narrow because you can't fit yourself through it. And all of your self-righteousness, all of your good deeds. You see, the narrow gate is just wide enough for faith. For faith. You must drop your self-righteous good deeds at the gate because they don't fit. Now, just as a side note, I want, to, I want us to make sure when I say faith and understand that, first off, entering into this gate, I'm, uh, I am uh, suggesting that this is salvation, right? Entering into the kingdom is entering into the narrow gate. It is being saved. It is being redeemed. And so faith alone... Might I add, it means trusting in Christ. To wholly lean, to wholly, W-H, fully lean and depend. Fully trusting that He is the only one able to save you from your sin and your guilt. The sin of which deserves the wrath of God. Only... Only faith in Christ can save you from the wrath of God that which you deserve. It's not simply acknowledging that you believe in that truth. But it's a belief in a truth that radically changes you. Changes how you live. Ephesians 2 gives us this understanding. Paul gives us kind of this picture of a gate that is narrow for entrance. But then he shuts the door on the wide gate into the kingdom of heaven. He says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Think about an entrance. You have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. That is the entrance into the kingdom. 
And then he slams the door on the the wide gate of self-righteousness into the kingdom. Verse 9, he says, Not a result of work so that no one may boast. You think about entering a room. People like to make entrances. You know, I was thinking about this and I thought of, uh, you know, a grand ball. When they announce who comes in and, you know, and you look at them and you... You marvel over their their outfit and their hairdo. Or it could be like the red carpet as we know it today, right? Where everyone is putting themselves out there to show how whatever they are. They want to make an entrance. Well, you can tell a lot about someone based on how they enter a room. The point of those types of entrances are typically, hey, look at me. So let me give you a couple examples of the way that the few, as we see in our passage, the few enter the narrow gate compared to the many that enter through the wide gate. And more on the few and many later. Here's how I would expect someone to enter in the wide gate as they pronounce their entrance. I enter in today through this gate because I went before the church March of 85 and made a public declaration of my faith in Jesus and was baptized and joined the church. I've been faithful to go to church regularly to be good to others. I was fervent in prayer and I was the leader of the largest Bible study group and we just grew and grew and grew and I am here. I come through this gate because I believed. And Now here's how I would expect someone coming through the narrow gate. I enter in today solely based on the grace, mercy, and love of God Almighty. I enter in through this gate by the shed blood of Christ Jesus. He has washed away my sins. I enter in through this gate into the kingdom of heaven by His righteousness, by His sinless life that has been counted to me, credited to me, even though my deeds have been of filthy rags. And perhaps He would stand inside the gate, praising the name of Jesus by maybe reciting Philippians 3. I come into this kingdom through this gate, and here it is, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. What was the difference between those two entrances? See, both, ex- both expressed faith and belief. But the first made much of his own. The first made much of his own. As if, it is as, is at, as if he was trying and he needed to keep score. He needed to keep account of his deeds, his Christian deeds, in order to be allowed into the kingdom. He said, I believed, but he said it in a way that said, I believed on this date. Make sure you mark down that date just in case you forget. I did the right things after believing. I told the church I was baptized. I went to church regularly. Make sure we keep a record of those things. And don't get me wrong, all these things are good. You should make a public profession of faith when you believe. If you truly believe and you are holding it in, I don't know what you're holding in. 
tell the world that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and He has saved you from your sins. You should make a profession of faith. You should tell the church. You should be baptized as the Lord commanded. You should attend regularly as as the Lord commands you. You should make that a priority. But see, the first person said that they trusted in Jesus for eternal life, but just in case, here's a record of all that I have done. Just to make sure he gets into the kingdom of heaven, this tells us that the faith that he proclaims, that he professes, was actually a false faith. He did not trust Jesus. And how do we discern that he did not trust Jesus? Because he had to bring all of his self-righteous good deeds with him. And he walked through the wide gate. He could not walk through the narrow gate because his deeds would keep him out. But for the second man, his words were directed towards what he had faith in. What he had faith in. He did not boast about his faith or his works like the first man, but he boasted in the object of his faith. Christ and Christ alone. No one is going to stand before the Lord and says, I am here because I believed. Shame on you if you think that. You will stand before the Lord as a son or daughter of God solely based on the person and work of Jesus Christ. The love of God to even let you get a glimpse of it. Shame on you if you think you're going to walk through a gate because of what you have done. In Him... In Jesus, not in anyone else, in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, Ephesians 1. It will be counted to us who believe, not who work, not who faithfully attend church, not the one who was baptized, not the one who knows a lot of their Bible. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And to help us think about this, we could look at these two groups mentioned in 13 and 14. Specifically, yes, in 13 and 14. The many that enter in the wide gate and the few that come through the narrow gate. For most of us, I know for me, for the majority of my uh, Christian life, I've had a tendency here to to place the few as the church and the many as the unbelievers. And there is some truth to that. But I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind here. If we consider the context of Jesus' sermon, all of it, and even the the pieces that we are going through. I think instead he has in mind those of true faith, the few, and those of false faith, the many. So as we read it, as we consider it in our context, we can consider it as the few and the many who are in the church, those who have professed to be Christians. 
Here's what I mean. And, and, and to help you understand why I believe this, let's, let, let's just think about a few things. First, consider Jesus' audience. Who is listening to him? At this very moment that he is speaking, who is listening to him? It's not a group of Jews and Gentiles. It's not a group that is uh, part of them or unaware of the words and law of God and part of them aren't, right? More than likely, Jesus' audience is a group of Jews who are very familiar with God's law, very familiar with His word. They are probably very religious and saying prayers, giving alms, visiting the synagogue and temple. Think about Think about how chapter 6 started. Uh, how he's talking about these spiritual activities that they are doing wrong, right? This is a group of religious people that he's speaking to. And these people understand that there is a kingdom. This idea of a kingdom is not new to them. They're familiar with it. Yet Jesus is warning this religious group who understand the word, his law, he is warning them about this false gate. He's warning them about this wide gate. And then if you think about verses 15 through 20, again, to make sure that this reality is true of what I say, that this isn't about necessarily the the believer and the unbeliever, but more geared towards those who are uh, religious. And I don't, when I say religious, I don't mean that in a negative sense. In verses 15 through 20, what is he warning of but false teachers? Unbelievers don't have to worry about false teachers. Those who have teachers have to worry about false teachers. Right? So we have an audience who we have an audience who must be aware of those who are teaching them. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount a lot is about, right? The bad teaching that has infiltrated the Israelites by the religious elite. And when I say religious then, I do mean it in a bad sense. And then you have in verse 23, or 21 through 23, the warning of the false citizenship of, of the kingdom, right? Of people who say, oh, I know his name, so I get in. Or, oh, I do the good works that he wants me to do, so I get in. Jesus is warning in verses 21 through 23 of many going through the wide gate. It's not about the world, but it's about those who say they believe. But the reality is, is they don't believe nothing. And if you go and read the parallel passage in Luke 3, you kind of get a better context of his audience being the, the, uh, the Israelites. Because he says that he will remove them from the kingdom. And they will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob eating at the table. And you know who's going to be eating with them? The Gentiles. So again, understanding that this passage isn't for us to say, we are the few, the world is the many. No, the warning is to the people sitting in the pews. Don't be the many. Do not assume that you are part of the few because you sit in here today and you look around and it's like, oh, there's just a few of us. Don't assume that you are part of the few because you got baptized one Sunday. I want to tell you, and I want to tell you in love, and I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me very well, and I want this to haunt you. 
Hell will be filled with many who sat on pews, who got baptized. Hell will be filled with many who gave a lot of money to the church. Hell will be filled with those who say their prayers, those who own Bibles, those who study them. They will stand before Jesus and He will say, Depart from me. And in that place that they will go when they depart will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. And yet I also want to tell you that the narrow gate is still open. It is still open. And Jesus is telling you, Come in. Come in. Come in through the narrow gate and find life and forgiveness and redemption. Find God. Because outside of the narrow gate, you know God nothing. You know Him not. Only through Christ can you know the Father. He says, come. God says to us in Isaiah, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the water. And he who has no money, come. Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. And why does he say David? Because he keeps his promises as he kept to David and he will keep if you come. Isaiah then says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Do you you hear that? Seek the Lord while He may be found. Because you might turn around tomorrow and the door might be shut. But I'm telling you, as I proclaim this to you, the gate is open. The door is open into the kingdom. And by faith, come. Depend and trust. He finishes. Let the wicked forsake his way. Call upon Him while He is near. And the righteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. So now the way. A legitimate question that you might have as we consider entering into this gate is you might ask yourself, how do I know I've gone through the right gate? How do I know I'm not deceived? I would ask you with an answer. Or I would answer you with a question. Can you tell me what path you're on? Look back at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by are many. So notice there is not just a gate but a way or a path. Verse 14, For the the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Are you, you ask me, are you in the right gate? I ask you to examine the path that you're on. Those who enter the wide gate find them on an easy path. Those who enter the narrow gate find themselves on a hard path. Now, the, the adjectives that describe these two paths are words that describe an amount of space, but also, at the same time, a degree of difficulty. 
Now, if you're looking at the King James, you say, well, mine says a narrow way, and you're saying a hard path. Well, that's my point. That word means the same thing. Narrow in space, hard in, what did I say? Difficulty. Or the, the spacious, wide path is an easy path. If you're going on a hike and you would like the easier trip, you choose the path that is spacious. Plenty of room on each side. Even the hedges, they're trimmed back, give you plenty of room on your left and right. And the limbs above you have been cut so you have plenty of headroom. It makes it an easy walk. Spacious path equals easy path. Spacious path equals easy path. On the other hand, you have a path that isn't that hasn't been trimmed. The hedges are closing in all around you, not giving you much work, not not much space to work with. It makes the hike much harder due to the crowdedness. It will be difficult not, it'll be difficult to go through the path and not get hung up. You might even get scraped, cut. So which path are you on, I ask? Well, you could say, well, okay, that's easy. I'm on the hard path because, man, life is hard. Life is hard. So I'm all good, right? Life's hard. We can all acknowledge that. Well, not necessarily. Why is life hard? Why is your life hard? Is it because work is difficult? Is it because the bills are stacking up? Is it because the kids won't listen to you? Because your marriage is in shambles? Is it because the tr- your transmission went out and you don't have enough money to pay for it? Are those the troubles that make your life hard? And if they are, you're... I don't know if you're on the hard path because you just told me a bunch of worldly things. That's not what Jesus had in mind when he says the way to life is hard. No, he means that life is hard because you are striving to live your life for the glory of Christ. Striving to live your life for the glory of Christ. The way is hard. Life is hard because you are making effort to put your sin to death. To pursue holiness. And you say, put sin to death, pursue holiness, what is that? Tells me you're on the wrong path. Jesus says the way is hard for the one who prioritizes seeking the knowledge of God over the knowledge of the world. We know all about everything. But do you know about God? Do you prioritize wanting to know more about God? The way to life is hard because you stand for truth. You stand for truth. The truth that you do find in the scriptures. The truth about God. The truth about man. The truth about Christ. The truth about heaven. The truth about hell. You speak the truth of God even when it isn't favorable to you. That makes life hard. Life is hard when you do all the things for the glory of God. That's the hard path that Jesus is speaking of. And two reasons it's hard, really simple. If you're living for Christ, number one, because your flesh hates it. Your own flesh hates it all and wants to convince you to leave it alone Take it easy, man. 
Don't make that holiness and sin thing such a big deal. Go binge watch another season of something on Netflix instead of praying and reading. Your flesh wants to convince you to store up all that earthly treasure. To get as much as you can. Never mind that heavenly stuff that doesn't have any value in this life. It's hard because the spirit is willing, right? But the flesh is so weak. The flesh is so weak. And so you must fight against your flesh. Battle. The hard path is a battle. Battle your desires. Battle your sin. And let me tell you, it's a job. 24, 7, 365. It's hard because in this job, there's no days off. None. And the other reason why it's hard, not only does your flesh hate it, the world hates the glory of God. The world hates the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you strive to live a life following Christ for the glory of God, I'll tell you the world will attempt to throw every roadblock and wrench in your way. You know why? Because the world then hates you. Jesus says, if they hated me, they will hate you. Uh, this isn't in my notes. So bear with me. There, there's a story in Acts. Uh, the church is growing. The apostles are doing all kinds of amazing things. Like they're raising people from the dead. And some guys get the idea that they're going to use that. They keep hearing the name Jesus attached to what's happening, right? And so they're like, we're going to get in on this. Maybe we can gain from it. And so they, I can't, I wonder if I, you remember what chapter this? Let's just read it so I don't tell it wrong. It's in Acts. I know it's on the left side of my pages. I don't know. Here it is. 19. Acts 19, verse 11. I've already forgot why I've gone here, but it's... Uh, it might not even apply, but it's such a good story. Let's go ahead and read it. Um, Acts 19, verse 11. I got verse 11 pretty close. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord, Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying... I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of the Jewish high priest named uh, Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? 
And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt out on them, mastered all of them, and then overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now let me figure out how I was going to connect that. I guess I was thinking the evil spirits and their reaction to the name of Jesus. Let's just leave it there because I'm going to dig myself a hole. But the point being, the point being is that those who are opposed to Jesus hate him. But then at the same time, as we see here in that section, that even the demons shudder at the name of Jesus. What power is that? It was not. Do I say that again? Was that the connection of their works? I, to be honest, Brother Dan, I don't know what the connection was. <laughs> the story just came to my mind for some reason. But what... We need what I want us to know is Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. That's John 15. But the word, the word hard, um, this is very interesting. The work, sorry, the word hard in verse 14, the hard path or the narrow path, as your translation might uh, say it, is actually the word that can also be translated afflict or suffer. So the way to life is afflicted. Right? The narrow gate, those, um, the way is hard that leads to life. The way is afflicted that leads to life. Um, we read Revelation 7 for many reasons and of its connection to, to what we're looking at today. But one that really stood out to me is when we see this noun form of the Greek word of hard or narrow is in that Revelation 7 chapter uh, passage when John is describing the multitude, the great multitude in heaven that cannot be numbered from every tribe, tongue, and nation. They're crying out praises to the Lamb, wearing white robes, and it's asked, who are these people? The answer is, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. That tribulation is the same word used to describe the way. That's not very inviting. Who wants to go on a path of tribulation? Uh, uh, Paul says something similar. Uh, For the sake of time, I won't read it, but he goes into uh, some towns as we read in Acts. You can check it out later, Acts 14. And he goes in proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, proclaiming the name of Jesus. And what happens? They hate him. And what happens after they hate him? They stone him. And they think he's dead. And they leave him for dead and drag him out into or on the outside of the city gates. He gets up. He gets up. <coughs> and he walks back to the church, to his uh, brothers and sisters. And this is the words he says. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encourage, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must 
enter the kingdom of God. Now you can try to do as many cartwheels around that as possible. But what he says is that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Same word used when we describe the way is hard. Do you want that? Like, are you ready for that? Are you even living? Like, are we running away from that? Are we running away from suffering for Christ? What does he say? He says, if you are going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, what? Take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow. And so I want to conclude here pretty quick. Let's get real practical. As we're going to think about a few more things in this. When we enter the narrow gate, we walk this afflicted path. It is because... It is because we are the wise man in verse 24. We are building our life on what God has said. I want you to really hang on here for, just hear me. Those who have entered the true gate are on the true path. They are in obedience what the Bible says. And I could probably get an amen at every church throughout this whole county. But it ain't that easy. When I touched on it last week, I I did touch on verses 24 through the end of the chapter last week. But I I want us to understand that when Jesus says, Hear these words of mine and do them. We're not just saying hear them and say amen. Or hear them and kind of do them. We're talking about saying this is God's word and I have to live by it. Now you might say, well that's easy. Well let me, let me test you out a minute. I'm gonna, I've got a, a list of 11. And be honest with yourself. Do you approach these commands striving to be obedient to them? And this is just how you ought to live. Do nothing in selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2. Number 2. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ephesians 5. Number three, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is not a suggestion. Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Ephesians 6, 
Number five, rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make all your requests known to God. Philippians 4. Colossians 3. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness. Number seven. Men in every place should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Eight. Older men, be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, and love and steadfastness. Steadfastness. Titus 2. Number nine, uh, Titus 2, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So to train young women to love their husbands and children and be self-controlled, pure at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Number 10, be quick to hear, slow to anger, slow to speak, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James 1, number 11, be holy as God is holy, 1 Peter 1. Now, I read through those specific commandments. And again, a potential response may sound like the rich young ruler to Jesus. All of these I have kept since I was a young man. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid us. I hear, here's, here's what I think we need to make sure we do. The words in Scripture come from God. The words in Scripture are not suggestions. To not obey the words of Scripture is to sin. To take them lightly is to sin. To ignore them is to sin. Our response should be, help me, Lord Jesus, to hear, to keep to do them, to build my life on them, even if it's hard, inconvenient. And I just, I, I just read a few verses of conduct. There are many that I could have pulled out regarding how you ought to be in Christ, spiritually in prayer, standing for the sake of Christ. There are many, there are many commands in the Scriptures, many ways that we ought to do just by example of what we've been given. I guess the point of all this is to suggest to you that you might that you may not be content with who you are in Christ. Do not be content with who you are in Christ. Realize that you are on a path, you are on a hard path until you see the Lord's face. Strive towards seeking holiness, obedience, and his glory. In Luke 13, in the parallel passage, the, the guy says, uh Will there be many who are saved? Or maybe ask few. But Jesus' response is, strive to enter the narrow gate. It's as if, don't ask me that question. Strive. Strive to enter the narrow gate. That is not contradictory of faith in Christ alone. Faith gets us in the gate. And when we are in the gate and on the path, we strive, we put our heads down in prayer, in our word. We strive to follow Christ as hard as it may be. Take every word that He says serious and seek to obey it. Is it worth it? Of course it's worth it. Of course it's worth it. Paul says to live as Christ. Think about that. He wants his life to equal 
Christ. He wants his life to be significant for the sake of Christ. Is the hard path hard? Yes. But look where it gets you. When the storm comes, when the rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, it did not fall. I don't want any of you to fall because you have not taken the words of Jesus seriously. You have not opened up your Bible in six months. You have not prayed a true prayer to God maybe in years. It is worth it. It is worth everything. Christ is worth everything. Like the treasure in the field. Give it all up for the sake of Him. So, I'm done, but I want to put this out in front of you and maybe we can talk more about it tonight because of the lack of time. Maybe there's some scripture we can go over. Where do I want you to go from here? Where does does the hard path lead? How do we do this? Well, number one, you must enter the narrow gate. I've made that quite clear. You must come to Christ. You must come and drink. You must come and eat and find life and be pardoned. Number two, as I just said, strive after Christ. Follow Him. Seek Him. Strive for Him to be who you are. The point of your life. Number three, be prepared. If this is your path, be prepared for things to get tough. And number four, to prepare, build your life on Christ. And here's what I want to suggest. Uh, five things. As I've said over and over again, Bible reading. Open the word that you are called to obey. Oh, don't, don't be that person in Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Don't be that person. Where God says, He says, get away from me, I never knew you. Open up your Bible and read it. We have the Bible reading plan that's in the back. I think there's only one left. I have to get you some more. But it's on our website. Read your Bible. If you want to prepare for this hard road, read your Bible. There is no ifs and buts about it. You cannot, you are not going to be able to stand before God and say, I believed in you and I loved you. I just didn't want to read about you. I didn't want to know about you more than what the preacher said on Sunday. You're going to starve. You're going to starve. Number two, uh, I'm making this announcement this morning. Look on the back of the bulletin. Uh after the Reformation in the 1500s, it became a very, very... There, there was a very, very important tool that the church used to grow the church in their knowledge and understanding of God, all things Bible. And that was called catechisms. And you think, I'm not a child. I don't have to learn anything. Question and answer... When you're on the path, the hard path, and the world and your flesh and Satan is ready to pummel you, the only thing that you have is your knowledge of the Lord. That's it. That's it. And thank God, by the Spirit of God, He gives you and grants you knowledge. But guess what? You have to work on it. We have to work on it. You don't... 
you see that, have you seen that Facebook video or that video online where that, that little boy, he's got his book and he turns a page and he like picks it up and washes it over. He's in school and he's like washing the information over his head and it's so cute, but that's the way we live. I own a Bible, it's sitting in my house and I'm just taking it all in. The catechism breaks, it breaks up the things about God, Christ, His Word, men, it, it helps us. It does it in question and answer form. Number one, what is the chief end of man? What's the point of your life? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and, enjoy, and to, joy, to enjoy Him forever. Memorize that. Memorize that. And we're going to have a new one every week. And I've, I've been praying about this and thinking about this, and I want you to pray and join me well, uh, as well. Uh, I, I've just, it's been on my heart that we find um, a time in the middle of the week to come together. You know, and is this something that we come together in the middle of the week and say, let's go over our question of the week. Let's spend time together understanding this part of uh, the truth more. Let's spend time together in prayer more. Real, honest prayer. But we're going to have a new one every week. I've got like a hundred of them. And I can give you copies of the full thing. Take these home. Memorize them with your family. Number three, be faithful to gather. Be faithful. Just like the sheep always come back to the trough. We come back to the Bible, but we also come back together in the, in the name of, of Christ, in the presence of Christ united in faith. Number two, build relationships with one another. Build relationships with one another. I can't go further into this, but you have been given brothers and sisters in Christ for your own good. Do not, do not abandon, do not place yourself away from the flock. And the third thing, I'm sorry, the fifth thing is pastor or elder oversight. I have been called to uh, this place, this position. Um, and as a pastor or elder, or as uh, you might see it in Timothy, an overseer. And I want you to understand that one day I will give account for your souls. I will. As your overseer. And so I, wanna, I want to tell you that I have not been doing a great job at that. Uh, let me just, I just want to read a couple passages and then this is, this is the it. This is the last thing. So I exhort the elders among you, Paul, or Peter is saying, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. He's talking to the elder, the pastor, the overseer, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And in Hebrews 13, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. That's not the part I want you to know, even though that is Scripture. But I want you to see, it says, For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So, all that to say, 
I'm going to be in your life. I'm going to be a part of your life. I'm going to show up at your doorstep. I'm going to ask you how your walk with Christ is. I'm going to be annoying because I love you. Now, if you're sick, you've got reasons why we can't be together. I can't, don't want to give you any germs or anything like that. I understand that. But if you tell me that I can't come to your house because it's a mess, number one, I don't care. Number two, clean it up. I don't say that. That's not, I, it's not me, that's God. I want to have oversight for the sake of your soul. And so I want to be there. And I want to know what's going on. And I don't want to talk about the sunshine and the rain and the football game. I want to know about your soul. So when I ask you about your soul, I pray that you be honest. I ask about your children's soul and how you're raising them. I want you to be honest. And I ask you, what is the first answer? What is the chief end of man? I want you to be able to answer me. Because I want you to know the truth of Scripture. I want you to know why you live. Read your Bible. Learn the truth in these catechisms. Gather together faithfully. Love one another in relationships. True relationships. Get to know one another. And look out for me. Let's take this hard road together. And let's understand, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish here. Jesus says, come to me. And what does he say? I'll give you rest. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It can be as hard as it can stink and be. But it is easy in Christ. And I don't mean that we skate by. I mean his yoke is light and his burden is easy. Come to him. I'm sorry for the length of this sermon. Uh, but I want you to know the truth. And if you have questions about that, and you want to know if you're in the wrong gate, or you want to tell me that Christ has brought you through this, the narrow gate, you come and talk to me. Let's open up our hymnals to 104.